Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the Commonwealth Club. Today's guest is an extraordinary activist, reformer, and author. His name is Barry Lynn. He has a brand new book called Liberty from All Masters. And I'm delighted to host this show today. My name is Roger McNamee. And I want to start by telling you the story of how I met Barry Lynn. It was 4th of July weekend of 2017. And I was six months into my activism of trying to warn America about the threat from internet platforms like Facebook. And I realized that I needed to find a way to go to Washington, D.C. and didn't know anyone. And a friend said, you need to meet Barry Lynn. So as it happened, Barry was in New England for the 4th of July weekend, and so was I. So we met in a hotel in Boston. And at this point, I'm terrified because I've been watching all the things that happened in 2016, and I'm beginning to get the sense that Facebook and other internet platforms are so big that there's nothing we can do. And I meet Barry. He's dressed impeccably. He's got the hair mess tie, the beautiful suit, and he sits back very relaxed in this very nice hotel bar, and he proceeds to explain to me that we're going to control these guys by bringing back antitrust law. Now, at that point in my life, I had spent better part of 40 years in the investment business, and antitrust law was, I think one could say charitably, defunct. Barry goes, no, no, You just have to believe in miracles. He said, we're going to get back to having real antitrust law. We're going to restore capitalism in America. And I'm looking at this guy, and I think he is from Mars. I mean, what is he talking about? There's like no way. And here we are, three years and four months later. And we are on the cusp of a new era of economic policy. One where we get a chance to restore capitalism. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you and introduce you to the incredible Barry Lynn, the author of Liberty from All Masters. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger. It's really great to be with you today. When I read this book, the thing that really grabs me, and the reason why I think everyone should read this book, is that it puts the notion of monopoly into historical context, why monopoly is so important in the history of the United States. So Barry, walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, and it's a great question to start with because, you know, America was really founded, Americans founded this country to fight monopoly. And the reason they did it is they, they understood that monopoly meant concentrated power. And, and a concentrated power means you don't have real liberty. It means you don't have democracy. It means you're not in control of your own communities and your own family and your own lives. And folks said, hey, you know, we want to be masters of our own futures. And uh, there's only one way to do it, and that is to break the power of monopoly. And right at the beginning, we created these amazing tools to protect ourselves from concentrated power. And we use them. We use them remarkably well for 200 years. Uh, I mean, people sometimes don't appreciate how amazing 
the American the American accomplishment of liberty is. So that's really what I'm trying to get people to understand is that, uh, you know, the political economy is all about power. And either we're using it or someone's using it against us. And it's time for us to get back to using it. So the context of this was that monopoly was a core part of England's economic strategy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was part of their uh, economic strategy, but it was, it was, you had this double monopoly. I mean, you had the king with all this power, and then you had the lords with all their power, and then you had the, 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 the chartered uh, corporations with all their power. So wherever you looked, you saw hierarchy, and you saw, it basically, you were, you know, if you were an American at that time, if you were anybody in the world at that time, if, unless you were like an aristocratic lord, one of the, the 1% of that time, you were groveling all the time to, you know, before somebody, you had to like bend down before somebody. And so, you know, it's, um, you know, and, and it, it, people got tired of it. And that's what America is about is that you don't have to bend down. You're your own boss. And uh, somehow, and this is, you know, it's a, it's a long conversation, but it, somehow we kind of lost our way. And so now we wake up today and there's all these bosses around us. And uh, and we get, we're all terrified, and it is terrifying. We should be really honest about how dangerous this moment is. But power, once you see it, you can master it. And we have what we need to master it. So as you say, right now we're in a moment in time where power is very concentrated. But this is not the first time. Right, the country's had to battle against monopoly numerous times in its past, and about concentrated power. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, there was the revolution. You know, that was a battle against concentrated power. We're going to be free, not just as a country, not just as a community, but as individuals. We're going to be free in a way that nobody ever has been before. And then, you know, right away, as soon as that's done, uh, you know, there's. Uh, bankers are trying to take over. Speculators are trying to take over. That's what Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, was doing with his bank. And then we master the speculators and the bankers. And the next thing we know, we got uh, uh, the slavers and the planters, you know, who are trying not just to, you know, who have enslaved millions of people and they're trying to take over the whole country. Then it's the plutocrats. So there has never been a point in American history when we have been safe. There's never been a point when someone has been trying to take our liberty away from us. But what we did for so long, for 200 years, is we've always figured out how to beat the other folks and to preserve our communities and our liberty. And it's, um, so it's a, um, you know, this is a, a truly amazing moment it's a time of great hope for us if we just learn how to deal with power again. And, and we're learning. So we have learned in the past how to deal with power. Walk us through a few of the highlights. What are the things that we've learned in the past that perhaps we've forgotten that make the present moment so dangerous? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important is we forgot how to use our own government. You know, it's like there's been this, idea that government is our enemy 
you know, that there's us and then there's government and government tells us what to do. It's like, no, government is us. You know, the thing about being a citizen, being a citizen means that, you know, you are part of government. And, you, you know, you don't have to bend down before anyone. You don't have to petition everyone. It's like you're the, you're the boss. You're, you know, people who work in government, they work for you. Now, if you don't boss them around, if you're not there every day watching over them, you're going to take advantage of that. But, you know, government is something that we created to make ourselves free. And it goes back to the very first law, one of the very first laws in America, the Northwest Ordinance. It was one of the first laws signed by our first president, George Washington. It was a vision of an activist government, of a, of a government that was used to create a basically engineer a society. Let's be very clear. We, America started off as an engineered society. And, but it was engineered by people using their government to say, hey, we're going to build a particular kind of town. We're going to build a particular kind of economy. We're going to build a particular kind of citizens. So it is a, you know, the first thing we have to learn is, you know, is this myth that government is our enemy. We have to make government our tool and we have to use it every day. And there ain't no way around that. So, it, we're sitting there saying we live today, particularly for those of us who live in the San Francisco Bay Area, surrounded by Silicon Valley, you know, the words of Ronald Reagan ringing in our ears that, you know, the government is the problem, not the solution. And yet your point is that that is, in fact, a radical statement relative to the founding philosophies in this country. Yeah, there, you know, there, uh, the, the idea, the myth, this is the great myth of, of the time of Reagan, the time of Clinton. And it, it's very important that this is the myth of, you know, that government is the enemy, that, the, that, that uh, uh, there, there's a, a market system that will just function without any help. Yeah. You, we got to get out of the way. That myth was, uh, 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 that was a, you know, it was used to actually sort of pry our hands off of these levers of control. And why, you know, it's it's really one of the great mysteries of our time is, you know, how how did we get suckered so badly back in the in the 70s and 80s? How did we, after 200 years of, you know, being masters of our own destiny, how did we let these people trick us the way they have? And, uh, you know, we could, it's, a, it's a complicated question, but we got tricked. We got suckered. We lost control. Here we are waking up today, and it's like, you know, as, as you, know, you have written about this amazingly well. It's just the, uh, uh, the, the power that is concentrated against us and the control over our communications. That's, in some ways, the most terrifying thing. It's, it's not how rich people are. It's not how big the corporations are. It's that they control our ability to talk with one another, to communicate with one another. And, and so that's the most immediate threat. And we will one day soon wonder how the hell did this happen? First, we got to just, you know, stand up, fight. And that's what people are doing. That's what happened today. So we'll get to what happened today, but yeah. we got some time here, but let's, let's drill down on 
what happened in the 70s and then use the context of what came before it, right? Because clearly what happened in the 70s was a reaction to what came before. And there was a long period of prosperity that came before where the world was relatively, the United States was relatively egalitarian. Is that correct? That is correct. And so what gave rise to that? And what were the things that the people are, who are trying to change it, what, were they, what was their story? Yeah, and there's two parts to being, having an egalitarian society. One is you know, more, you know, not having huge concentrations of wealth. And, but Americans always said, it's like, we understand some people have more wealth. But, but we aimed to make sure that nobody had more power. Uh, but, even, but with wealth, there had to be a limit to what, how much any one person had. And, you know, what we learned is we established a set of rules right at the beginning to distribute wealth, to distribute opportunity, to distribute property. I mean, we forget, I mean, here we are, you know, we're arguing about whether to cut people a $600 check or not when they're in crisis, (laughs) You know, when, when they can't pay their bills, when a sickness has made people, un, has forced people into unemployment, again, with no fault of their own, we're having this argument whether they pay them 400 or 600 bucks. At the beginning of the nation, we said, hey, you know what? Everyone gets the property that they need to be independent, to not have a boss. And so and what did they get? It's actually kind of interesting what, what that deal was. Yeah, I mean, this, so right at the beginning of the country, this is the Northwest Ordinance. This is that first law, you know, that that uh, the, you know that was signed by, by by George Washington, and it's this vision of uh, of an America that we should all actually we need to reconnect with this vision, and it will say, hey, you know what? Everybody is going to have a little citizen-sized property. You'll get a citizen-sized farm, or you can have a citizen-sized uh, 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 shop. You know, but you're going to be independent. That means that as long as you could, you know, keep your property, you can be independent. But, well, some people are not made to be entrepreneurs. But if you're, a, if you're going to be an employee, you have rights. You can, there's going to be a lot of different people who can hire you. You're always going to be able to go out and get a market wage. You're always going to be to do that because there's no power over the employment market. So whether you want to be an entrepreneur or whether you just want to go out and earn a wage, you're going to have the liberty to go do that and earn a good living. Not a huge amount of money, but just be free. Have nobody able to tell you what to do. Nobody able to tell you what to think. So that very first law said every single person, I mean white men at that point, and but there's a twist to this, We'll get 160 acres of land. Every single person gets 160 acres of land. Um, and but there's actually there. What the twist was that in that first law, it was everybody gets 160 acres of land. If you're black, you get 160 acres of land. And then everybody gets a vote. Every man gets a vote. Um, and that means if you used to be a slave, it doesn't matter. If you used to be an indentured servant, it doesn't matter. Everyone gets a vote, no matter what the color of your skin or what, the, the, uh, what, what your condition used to be. And everyone has to live in a town. And everyone has to have learning. Everyone has to have a school in their town. And there's not going to be any corporations. In this first law, this is the law of the United States. There shall be no corporations. 
and there shall be no speculators in this system. And, um, um, and all of the infrastructure is run to serve people. Like the only infrastructure people had back then was the post office and the post office was designed to serve everybody. So it was a, you know, some people might call it utopian, but it was an actual thing that we had. It was the original vision of America. And it was something that existed in this country for really 200 years. And it's our fault today that we forget this. It's our fault that we don't understand how radical our own past is and what we can do with those same ideas, those same laws, and those same principles today. So the organizing principle that the Reagan revolution and then obviously Clinton, the Bushes, and Obama wound up knocking down, where did that come from? What the, yeah, so, I mean, we, we sometimes we call these folks the Chicago schoolers or, you know, I think people are kind of settling in on this, you know, call, uh, label of calling them the neoliberals, you know, and w- their basic idea, the old idea was that, hey, anti-monopoly law, anti-monopoly policy, the American system of liberty is here to serve us as citizens and to protect our independence. Our, our, our liberty and to protect our democracy. That's, that was the fundamental idea. Everything is to protect liberty and democracy so that we can think freely and bring all of our heads together and master all of the problems that we face together using everybody's intelligence, everybody's innate genius. That was the, that was the idea. But, and but, these clearly, said, but very clearly by the late 19th century power was concentrated again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, at that point it's through these cycles because the waves really matter, right? Yeah. It's not like we've never been here before. We have been here before. Yeah. No. And, and, uh, so what the, um, the, what the neoliberals did is they did something kind of like what happened in the late 19th century. And they had this vision of les- what they, you know, sometimes it's called laissez-faire, but more recently it was called neoliberalism. And the idea is that, you know, what we really want to promote here is let the bosses rule. Let the bosses concentrate power. Let them use their corporations to determine what happens in our society. But, but they packaged it cleverly, right? Because their basic message was, no, no, the market is the best way to allocate resources, right? That was, that was, the, that was yeah. the tease. Yeah, this was – I mean, what the neoliberals did in the late 70s and early 80s – I mean, it would have impressed Orwell. <laughs> you know, they, they repackaged concentrated corporate power and manipulation. They repackaged that as liberty. They, they repackaged uh, uh, justice, justice as efficiency. I mean, we can go back and look at what really famous judges, legal scholars like Robert Bork, and, and Richard Posner, I've gone through and looked at what they wrote. And, and it was, you know, this was doublespeak here in America. And it was fantastically sophisticated. That's why we got suckered is because these guys came up with something that was truly, it was a, a lie that was wrapped in the most 
awesomely confusing package of, of, of uh, and, uh, and, you know, so we thought that what, you know, as they like took off regulations that were making us free, we thought that they were making us free. And uh, so here we are a generation later and we realized, oh, wait, we needed those rules. We needed those regulations. We needed to use the, the uh, you know, uh, 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 those tools in that way. So, um, but, you know, the, the neoliberal revolution was, you know, it was a coup. It was the only real coup that ever happened in the United States. I mean, you talked about the 1890s, the plutocrats. They attempted a coup. They didn't quite succeed. The neoliberals it succeeded, and they succeeded because they, took a, they made it an intellectual coup. They changed the terminology through which we understand the world. They took away our eyes and uh, our challenge now is to awaken, not just to the threat, not just to the threat of Google and Facebook, but to the real power that we have, because we have more to do than just take care of Google and Facebook. We have all these other crises. So what are the, if you were to sit there and say the three, four, five things that neoliberals did, they did the most harm, and therefore we need to address. What were they? Because clearly, I mean, over 40 years, there was a period of time where tremendous wealth was accumulated. In Silicon Valley, we've built some giant businesses and some giant fortunes. So the community of people in Silicon Valley, at least, are looking at this as, wait a minute, this is great. This was the perfect time. And yet the country as a whole is experiencing income inequality that may be unprecedented in its history. And our economy is at the moment struggling for reasons that are not entirely related to the pandemic. So walk us through, you know, what were the key changes that they made that took us from the system that preceded neoliberalism to where we are today, and therefore the ones that we really need to pay the most attention to fixing? Yeah, I mean, there's the one is just, you know, what I was mentioning before that they sort of, you know, markets are open. No one controls a market, you know. And what they said is a corporation. A corporation is something that controls activity within a part of the political economy. And they said, well, they, they said a corporation, they kind of conf- blurred the line between what is a corporation, what is a market. Now, that's a way of, you know, hiding power. That's what they were doing. They were hiding power. But the, the thing that it was most subversive was how they labeled us, you know, each other, the, the American citizens. And, you know, we were citizens. This goes back to the, the, the Declaration of Independence. There's this thing that, you know, like 10 years ago, these scientists in the uh, uh, archives, they x-rayed an early draft of the Declaration of Independence because there was this one place where, where Jefferson had scratched out this word. He'd scratched it out it was like almost violently. And they wanted to know what the word was that he scratched out. And they found that it was the word subjects. He was angry at the word subjects. And he scratched it out and he wrote atop it citizen. And in doing that, it created a whole new sense of who we are. When we're citizens, we're part of government. We are the bosses. 
It was a way, it's a, it's a type of intellectual awakening into who we are. What the neoliberals did is they scratched out that word citizen in our antitrust laws. They scratched it out. This was like in 1982. They scratched it out and they wrote in the word consumer. And they said, oh, the point of all these laws is to promote our welfare as consumers. It's not to promote liberty as citizens. It's not to promote our democracy by which we exercise our citizenship. They said, you are a consumer. And what we're going to do is we're going to take care of you. We're going to watch over your welfare by seeking efficiency. We're going to give you more stuff. So you're no longer part of the, the system here. You don't have to worry your heads. We'll take care of things. Just sit back and consume it. And this sounds like some kind of a, a hippie, uh, you know, sort of conspiracy idea that's, you know, about consumerism. But they literally wrote in the word consumer, and, and then they changed the law to say the only thing that matters is price to the consumer. Right. So that's, in some ways, the most subversive thing is changing how we see ourselves. You know, and so we part of what we have to do right now is to say, you know, reawaken to what it means to be a citizen, to be a, someone who makes things, who says things, who when you go to market, you want to make sure that you have absolute freedom to sell your work and your ideas, speak the words that you want to speak, and 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 have nobody standing between you and your neighbor so that the only people regulating this are you and your neighbor. So when you, if you were George Washington or any of the founding fathers, and you were looking at the neoliberals, so the reclassification from citizens to consumers, that's going to freak them out completely. What else that happened there would have bothered them? Yeah, they, they had no idea. I mean, that concept, they had no idea what that concept was. It would have been a nonsense word to them, you know. The, um, you know, what would have also bothered them is, you know, how we treat corporations, you know. And this is even some of the most conservative members of the founding generation. They were afraid of banks and they were afraid of large corporations. You know, they had fought against the British East India Company. They understood that the corporation was dangerous, that the corporation, if, if you don't take care of it, if you don't sort of wrap it in the right kind of rules, that the corporations will strip mine your society, strip mine your infrastructure, strip mine uh, your, your communities, destroy your well-being. And, well, this was something like both modern liberalism, Adam Smith, and modern conservatism Edmund Burke, both Smith and Burke, when they wrote their works, they were responding to the British East India Company. So both of them said, this is an evil corporation, an evil use of power. So the other thing that they would have said, that the founders would have said is, how we allow corporations, private corporations to rule us I cannot believe these people, these citizens that we, uh, for whom we, you know, we, 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 these tools were created, the society was created, that they've fallen so low. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and the thing that's so interesting in your book is you describe how bipartisan this was. That yes, it began under Reagan, and yes, it began with Republicans, but Democrats embraced it every bit as much. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I mean, um, as radical as what Reagan did, in some ways, what Bill Clinton did was even more radical. So, I mean, just what 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 Reagan did is he we have these antitrust laws. It's what the DO, the Department of Justice does when it's fighting anti-monopoly. I mean, fighting monopoly, or in the Federal Trade Communications. I mean, the Federal Trade Commission, they have very specific types of laws, antitrust laws. But we have all these other types of laws. We have uh, we have laws that regulate our banks. We have laws to uh, regulate the defense industrial base. We have uh, uh, sort of laws and policies to regulate energy, laws and policies to regulate communications. And, and Clinton and his team went into every one of these other legal regimes and subverted them and said, hey, the people's power, no more. We're going to give power over this to the corporate masters. So the Reagan people started it, and the Clinton people actually accelerated it. They made it vastly worse. And, you know, it's so it was one of the reasons that the American people got confused and didn't actually stand up is because Uh, Wherever you looked, you know, you looked towards your liberals, your conservatives, your progressives, your libertarians, everyone was saying the same thing. So the debate was not there to educate people. So when you think about here we are, it's, you know, 2020 and, uh, you know, we're 40 years into this revolution. And when you and I met 2017, honest to God, it looked like it was permanent and there was no way to change. Yet something has happened since you and I met three and a half years ago, right? Because Congress, the House of Representatives, has published a report that takes antitrust to a level that has not been seen in a very long time. The Department of Justice has just filed a case against Google today, there are, what, 47 or 48 state AGs plus a whole bunch of territories that are taking on both Google and Facebook. The European Union have done it. I mean, three and a half years ago, you told me that I shouldn't be afraid of miracles. And tell me what happened. How did we, how did we get to here? And then tell us what's going on now. Yeah, and this is, and this is it's a great question because it's, it's not that any one person did this. It wasn't what, you know, something that Senator Warren did, or uh, Senator Sanders, or, you know, it wasn't something that any candidate did. It was, uh, the real change took place from the American people kind of waking up to this problem. One of the key things that you just mentioned is you have all these state attorneys generals. It's actually, in the case of Google, every state, all 50 states, plus D.C. and Puerto Rico, every one of these states has opened an investigation of Google everyone plus dc and and, and puerto rico that is a popular rising that's the people rising up at the local level to say hey you know what these tools i mean this 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 world is ours and we're gonna these people are are, they're threatening us but you know what we're gonna use whatever we have at hand to to fight them so uh but it's 
the thing that is uh, probably most important for people listening to this uh, to, to understand is the the antitrust subcommittee in the House of Representatives, the, the Cicilline Committee, they came out with a report two weeks ago. It didn't get a lot of press because it's hard nowadays to hear new things in this noise. But the report they came out with said, these are... These corporations pose threats to our, our democracy and our liberty. Uh, they said, we're going to use every single tool that we have in, at hand to deal with this, non-discrimination, breakup, interoperability, everything. We're going to do it all. And we're going to instruct the, every part of our government to do this. And uh, we're starting today. And it was bipartisan. It was uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats in complete agreement on all of the key issues. So we're in a new world today. It's still terrifying. These corporations are still there. They still have every one of the powers that they had this morning when we woke up. The difference is that we see them. We see what's dangerous about them. And when we have said we are citizens of this country, we are owners of this country, we are owners of ourselves, and we're going to take back full ownership of ourselves and our country, and these private governments, we're gonna break them. So tech, though, is not the only part of the economy where we have a concentration problem. No. So why did we pick tech? Well, tech was, and this is really important for people, it's like, and this is something you've done such a great job of, of working on. I mean, tech, you know, Walmart is a problem. Hospital, corp, uh, hospital monopoly, uh, monopoly is a huge problem. Pharmaceutical monopoly is a huge problem. The, you know, we just have COVID. We woke up and masks, 10 cent N95 masks. That's all it costs to make a, a, an N95 mask. We still don't have enough N95 masks because monopolists came in and took control of that technology and destroyed the capacity to make it. So we look through every single part, every single thing that's wrong with our society today. All the trade tensions with China made worse by monopolists. Everything that we worry about made worse by monopolists. And your point but is- Google, Facebook, and Amazon, this is, this is what you're so good at, is Google, Facebook, and Amazon, it's different. It's different. And it's different because they control how we communicate. Because they've inter, they've moved in between us as speakers, they've moved in between us as in our in our commerce in a way that no corporation ever has, and they're able to gather information on us and manipulate us. So we've got a lot to do. We got the tools with which to do it. But Google, Facebook, and Amazon pose threats that must be dealt with today. So when you're looking at that, which parts must be dealt with first? What are the, what's the first order problem? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is, you know, it's, it's the way they manipulate information flows. You know, we want to have, you know, when we have news, uh, people who are gathering news for us, or we have our, 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 um, politicians, you know, trying to con connect with us, we can't have private corporations manipulating how we speak with each other. You know, we have to have um, 
the disinformation problem in our in our society. It's like where did that come from? We didn't. Use it. There's always been disinformation, but it was never wholesale the way it is today. How is it that the Russians and all the other disinformation and uh, spreaders and propagandists? How is it that they they get their word out? They get it out through Google and Facebook. It's it's because the business model is flawed. It's because the business model is designed to manipulate people. And so, so we, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's, so, uh, so that's what, you know, um, that's what's so terrifying is their ability to actually prevent us from being able to communicate with one another the way we expect to and need to in a democracy. And so the thing that changed in the last three and a half years how is it that we got Congress, which I think charitably was less well prepared for the 2018 hearings with Mark Zuckerberg et al. Uh, than they are now? What was it that drove that? And where does it go from here? What happens? What does it look like? Okay, so you've got this case. I mean, are we? Yeah, no, it's, and that's, I mean, it's a great question. What happened with Congress? How did, you know, how did we go from zero to you know, 100 miles an hour? And that's, you know, uh, and what happened is uh, these folks went out and read. They educated themselves. They, they were, you know, they, they stopped bickering for long enough to, you know, sit down in, in the room together and learn about the problem and then and work together to, you know, uh, uh, talk it out so that they were you know, using the same language to understand the problem. And, you know, there were some real heroes here. And I want, you know, it's, it's important to, for Americans to understand there are heroes in our midst. There's, you know, uh, uh, Congressman, you know, Chairman Cicilline, David Cicilline, who ran that, that, that committee. He is a true American hero. And he, he, he saw this problem. I mean, I've been working with, with Chairman Cicilline for five years, six years. Uh, he always had power to do this beginning in 2018 when, we, when the Democrats took the House. Uh, he's seen this. He's wanted to do something about it. He let, he created a discussion that was both bipartisan, that was respectful, and that educated people to the real nature of the problem. And he had real help. He had help from a terrific staff, you know, from people including Lena Khan, uh, you know, Slade Bond. Uh, but it's a, uh, you know, so what the, what's the lesson here? The lesson here is sit down. You don't vilify, if you're a Republican, don't vilify the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, don't vilify the Republicans. Say, hey, we're all in this together. We want democracy. We're going to argue about other things, but let's not argue about whether to have democracy or not. Uh, and then learn. And what they did is they studied the history and they said, damn, we got these amazing tools. So what's going to happen? Is this going to get fixed overnight or is Congress going to screw this up? Is the Department of Justice going to mess it up? What's going to happen? It's not up to Congress to screw it up. It's up to us to screw it up. If we keep getting distracted, if we keep letting people distract us, if we keep letting, you know, uh, um, you know, crazy talkers on TV distract us, you know, and, and we don't like spend our time saying to our congressmen and our state attorneys general and our mayors, you know, and our public utility commissioners, we got to beat these these monopolists. Uh, then, uh, yeah, then if we lose our democracy, it's on us. You know, it's like, yeah. So let's say we don't do that. Let's say we keep the pressure on. How long does it take before something real happens? And what does that, where would that leave us? You know, if, if, you know, we're, we're at the point now where, you know, Google and Amazon and Facebook, 
they know that they can turn people on and off. You know, I mean, just as an example, you know, I'll give you, Amazon five years ago, they're having a beef with uh, uh, Hachette, a, a book publisher, big book publisher. It publishes important books. And they were having this beef with Hachette and they just shut them off. They turned, they turned the switch and they shut them off and said, you're not selling any books. That's half of the, the business of Hachette. For many of the uh, authors that Hachette handles, it was 90%, 100% of their business. All the money went away. They were silenced overnight. That was five years ago. That was with authors. Google and Facebook, they can do that with, with reporters, with policy wonks, with uh, policy makers. They can turn people on and off. They know that. And actually, increasingly, the, the politicians know that too. So if we don't actually push forward every day at this point, to master this problem, they're going to start reaching in in the quiet days and reaching their hand around people's throats, making people afraid and start, you know, sort of separating people out. Right now we got all the members of a, of a congressional committee together providing strength for one another. We give them any time. They're going to start pulling people apart, prizing people apart. Separate, we fall. And this time when we fall, this is what's different about this time. If we fall this time, there ain't never, never going to be an opportunity to stand back up. So what's the, what are our priorities? We, when people talk about antitrust, they almost reflexively go to the notion of breaking companies up. In, we have an audience question about that, and specifically in the context of tech. And I'm curious as to whether uh, when you're thinking about this, you know, what are the other tools in the tool chest that we want to make sure we use besides breaking up and where does the breakup thing fit relative to priorities? Yeah. I mean, here, it's, it's a great question because, you know, in order to get attention, you say, Hey, we got to break these people up. It, it shows strength. It shows, you know, that size matters, but, but actually in, in some cases, this is very much true of the, of the digital economy is in certain cases, you may just have one, you may have a network. Their you know, network effects are real. You know, and this was true with the railroad. It was true with the telegraph. It was true with the telephone. And it's true today with uh, 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 Google, Facebook, and Amazon. You know, we, certain things are going to be big. And uh, so if we want something to be big, if something needs to be big in order to function and serve us, then what we want to do is use uh, – uh, we want to neutralize it. We want to – and we have a whole variety. It's like – uh, of, of tools that mean and neutralization just means you have to treat everybody the same you have to impose it's rule of law everyone gets the same treatment everyone gets the same prices uh, everyone gets you get carried from one place to another in the order in which you come everyone is equal that's right. what common carriage sounds it sounds technical it just means you're equal with the next person that might be a billionaire and you may be your job may be sweeping the halls in the high school. So how about the whole issue of, of, of your own products, right? Because one of the challenges of these folks is that they run marketplaces. And without exception, they also have products available in those marketplaces, which they give preference yeah. to. So I would think that would be an important place. Yeah, to- and that's actually, and that's, that's a really important point because it's, 
you know, Amazon, they sell books, but they also publish books. Mm-hmm. Amazon sells batteries, but they also make batteries. You know, Google, you know, carries other people's recommendations and services, but they also provide services. And anybody, we all know, it's just common sense tells us that if you control the access to the buyer, uh, you're going to put your product first because you're going to make, you want to make more money off it. So you're going to take the other person's product and you're going to hide it or put it a little bit further behind and put your product out there first. And so what do we do about that? Well, what we've been doing, this goes back to the civil war at the federal level. What you say is if you control something really important, no vertical integration. That means if you're in banking, all you do is provide credit. You know, you provide banking services. You know, if you're if you're a, a trucking company, a railroad company, all you do is you move people. But you're not going to manufacture machinery. You're not going to have farms. Your 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 job is just to move people, provide service. And what? Yeah. So, so how about how about the issue of which we see commonly from these companies, where they use the data of the people on their system to then compete against the people in their system. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's the outrageousness of their actions. I mean, you know, I, let's be blunt. I mean, it's like Google and Facebook, but especially Amazon, a large part of their business model is theft. Theft. You know, what they do is they take the information that they gather and they steal other people's businesses. This is America. We want the entrepreneur to thrive. And people spend their whole lives, they spend decades building something up. And then Amazon or Google looks at that and they say, well, you know, they can't get to market without riding on my rails. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to exploit that fact to steal their business for myself. So That happens every day in America. And it happens with startups, right? Obviously, DoorDash and Uber Eats have inserted themselves between restaurants and other food service providers and their customers and effectively have taken control of the economics of that relationship, just as Google and Facebook have done with newspapers and other forms of journalism. They've ins- so that there is this whole strategy. So what is the is there something that needs to be done about finance, about venture capital and things like that, that sit there and respect the fact that people who have built something real in the real world can be protected from predation from things in the virtual world that can insert themselves between the physical world and the customer? Yeah, no, it, there's is a that, lot. I mean, is that part, part of this? Yeah, part of this is antitrust. And it's actually antitrust. This is something that, you know, going back to 2008, 2009, the big crack up, the Great Recession, you know, uh, going back to the, you know, when Bernie Sanders really became Bernie Sanders, as we know him in the, uh, over the last decade, you know, there's been this focus on Wall Street and the banks and the financier. And yeah, the banks and the financiers, they're, you know, there's a lot of money there, a lot of power there, a lot of, but what is their tool? What's the tool of the banker? What is the tool of the financier? It's the corporation. Now, a banker in a nice suit, they, they're not going to be picking your pocket. How do they pick your pocket? They need a corporation to do that. They need some way of getting their hands around your life, some part of your life. That's the corporation. So antitrust, going back to the beginning of this country, and a monopoly law, going back to the beginning of the country, is to prevent, is to actually 
It's the first line of defense against the financier, the banker running the world. You know, because the corporation is what gives the financier, the banker, the power to get into your life, to get into your pocket, to take your house from you. That's how the, you know, without that, they can't do that. So, uh, so yeah, it's, so anti-monopoly law is, that's why it's so fundamental, is because it protects us against the predator. It protects us, it protects us against the thief. And so when you're thinking about the presidential election that's coming up in two weeks, right? We've got very different candidates running. And yet it is the Trump Justice Department that initiated a suit today against Google. And it is the Democratic-led House Antitrust Subcommittee that went against four companies two weeks ago. So does it matter who gets elected relative to this issue? And if so, in what way will it matter? Well, I, you know, I run a, a nonprofit organization and it's, a, but so it does matter. Um, and I think what I can say, you know, say it safely is that the Trump administration has had four years in power. Um, and the only reason they actually brought this case today is because they got, they got rolled by the states. You know, it's, this is not because they're particularly competent, partic- you know, they, there was a lot of energy inside there. They said, we got a problem with these big tech companies, but they were very slow to move. Um, and it's not like they're going to follow up with this. So judging by what we have seen the last four years, I wouldn't expect the Trump administration to really push this the way it needs to be pushed. Now, a Biden administration, I think, you know, but I will, you know, it's like the key thing for people to understand is today with the states stood up, with the Europeans stood up, with the American people stood up. Even if there is some difference between what a Biden administration or a Trump administration would do, we can do this without the administration. We have the power to roll this all the way to the, you know, across the goal line without the person in the White House being with us. Well, we'll talk about how that works, because in California, we have a referendum on the ballot to put real teeth in the California Computer Privacy Act, which is obviously a different domain entirely. And so one of the questions that came from an audience member, you know, is going at this issue because antitrust isn't the whole answer, is it? Okay. As you make the point, states have a lot of power. They have power in antitrust. Some states have a lot of power in privacy and every state has consumer protection capability. So, when you think about this, how do things like Section 230 of the uh, of the Communications Decency Act, which is the safe harbor that has sheltered Internet platforms from litigation and, frankly, from responsibility for the harms they cause, how do things like that need to get taken care of? You know, it, because they're clearly outside the domain of antitrust, but not outside the domain of your expertise. Yeah. No, just like one little, you know, a, a bit of history that's important for folks to know is, Back in 1913, 1914, this is at the end of the plutocratic era. 
the Congress of the United States and the Wilson administration and, 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 and uh, uh, Louis Brandeis said, we have to make sure that antitrust power is distributed everywhere in America. So they passed a law, the Clayton Antitrust Act, that said every state of America has the same power as the federal government. So that way, if the powerful could come and capture control over Washington. They could subvert our government. Yet we still have these, all these other governments, every state that we have the governments that we can, uh, in every state that we can use. So that's, uh, that's actually democracy in action. Um, and, and so we should remember that every state is as powerful as the federal government when it comes to this. They just don't usually have the same resources. Uh, but in terms of like the privacy, California privacy, you know, it's like the interest is like we're having these parallel debates about antitrust, anti-monopoly and privacy. If we, when we bring these conversations together, we can actually make these, these very powerful tools that we have, both privacy tools and, and anti-monopoly tools, we can work them together. You can set up a privacy system that promotes, uh, uh, that breaks power. You can use power in a way that creates privacy. And is it not true that we can also use safety? You know, if you think about it, Silicon Valley engineers are the only engineers in the economy who are protected from the consequences of their mistakes, right? If you're a chemicals engineer and there's a spill, you and your firm are responsible. If you are a building contractor or building engineer and your building falls down or it hurts somebody, you are accountable. If you're a pharmaceutical company, you're accountable for any harms that come. This is a unique place. And so the notion that we're going to not just change the, the, the economic structure with antitrust and the personal rights structure with privacy, but also have to think about safety now, one of the questions that came in, I want to bring up here, because the person asks, are we talking here about socialism or are we talking about a return to capitalism, right? Because it's, if I understand the book properly, monopoly is not capitalism. Monopoly is a thing that sort of comes, at, you know, it, capitalism can lead to monopoly. But once you get to monopoly, that's no longer capitalism. Capitalism, a thing historically associated with democracy. That's the message I took out of the book. Absolutely. And what we have today is something, it's, America today looks more and more and more like the Soviet Union or like China, you know, under, under the, the Communist Party rule, you know, where you have a couple of extremely powerful corporations that, you know, so uh, that control vast portions and growing portions of the political economy and, and destroy the ability of, investors to get a fair return of entrepreneurs to build something new. So it's like, this is absolutely capitalism, you know, and it's like, you know, socialism, it, socialism usually involves state control. What anti-monopoly, the beauty of anti-monopoly is it's like, you got the state over here and you got the private corporation over here, but you got a tool that keeps them apart. We don't want them joining. So you got a tool that keeps them apart and you got a tool to keep both of them small. You got a tool to keep both of them small. So the power ends up in our hands and we are in control of our lives and our communities and our businesses and our investments and our ideas. That's a pretty good world. We used to have it. We can have it again. You know, it's capitalism. It's liberty. 
but the way the way to it is through anti-monopoly. It's not through state control. So one of another one of the great questions here is: Okay, how do we help? What are we all supposed to do right now? Right? Who do we put pressure on? You know, is it politicians? Is it companies? What can each person on this live stream do if they yeah. want to be part of seeing this reform take place? Yeah, and here's I'm going to go back. Uh, you know, to the mid 1990s. You know, mid 1990s, uh, Microsoft was out there. Microsoft was the big bad bull. Microsoft is going to take over the entire uh, uh, internet. You know, using sort of leveraging its control of of DOS of the of the computer, the the, the personal computer. And uh, you know, the Clinton administration really didn't want to do anything about it. It's like they just did, didn't want to get into it. They wanted the opposite to happen. They liked big people who were going to like scratch their back. I'll scratch your back. You scratch my back. I'll give you a monopoly. You kick back me some money. That's the way it worked under the Clinton administration. And then these folks in Iowa, you know, a, a, an attorney general in Iowa, you know, uh, Tom Miller, Iowa, out in the middle of the, you know, there's, 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 there's corn and pigs and, you know, a few small towns and riverboats, you know, and it's, and they said, Hey, you know what? We're not going to live under the sway of, of, of this monopoly of, of Microsoft. So they started said, we're going to use this tool, this power to, to break the biggest corporation of that time. And they got a few other state AGs to go along and they started an investigation, and they forced the Clinton administration to do that. That was people at the most at the in the towns of this country saying, "God damn it, this is my town. It's my my liberty. This is my family that that I care about." And you know what? We're going to make it happen. So people can do this in every state of the union, and they can do it in their cities. They can use procurement policy. They can, you know, people have to understand about the, all the power they have over uh, the utilities. You know, uh, uh, everyone's ripping you off today. Right. And it's because we're not using our local governments, our state governments, and our federal government to keep us free and safe. So part of this is recognizing the, the, the trap that these companies offer. So if you're on a school board, you know, Google's going to offer you an amazing deal on Chromebooks, right? And the trick is to recognize that the price that – you're paying is not just the upfront piece. It's all the downstream damage that comes from these products. Yeah. And it's not just pricing when in that case is actually when you, you know, what you're doing is if you're on the school board, it's a great example. Fantastic example. If you're on the school board, Google comes and says, Hey, we got a bunch of Chromebooks and this is a terrible time right now with COVID. It's like, we have this crisis and these people, what Google does crisis, what Google does is, Hey, Take this 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 laptop this and and, and use it and, and and educate yourself. But what they're doing is they're spying on your kids. You know they're studying your kids from the get go, from the time they're five, from the time they're seven. There is like and so that they know how to manipulate your kids going forward forevermore. And Microsoft does the same thing because they have all the children's games and things, so they capture them early all the way up through LinkedIn. Right. So everybody wants to be part of that same economy. Right. Well, and so you basically you're saying every corporation wants it. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, the question is, how do they get involved? So the answer is at every level. You have to push and we're going to have to make some trade offs. We're going to have to be willing to pay a little bit more yeah. now. Right. In yeah. order to avoid the very high ga- downstream cost of 
turning over our liberty to these people. And in exchange for paying a little bit more now, sometimes, sometimes, not always, we will have democracy, we will have a voice, and in the long run, we're going to have a much more prosperous economy in which we get more for less. So, you know, it's, this is, an, uh, it, this is a, an investment that pays back in terms of, you know, politically and it pays back economically. So, so let me ask you last question, again, coming from the audience. Uh, how long is it going to take? Let's assume that everybody gives us their best effort. How long is it going to take to essentially make the changes you're recommending and begin the next big thing, the next way where technology is suddenly democratized, where startups can flourish again, where innovation can happen, right? We let a thousand fly blooms. How long is it going to take to get through this process so we get to that point? Yeah, no, this is, it's a, you know, the more people who get up and, 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 and call up your congressman, call up your state legislature, call up your governor and say, take these folks down. I'm with you. I'm backing you up. This is what I'm voting on. Uh, the faster it happens. The more people stand up and, and sort of, you know, uh, just once in a while pay attention to what the utilities are doing in your, in your town, the faster it happens. You know, we can have right now, we can be five years from now. We can be sure that we are masters of our communications, masters of our commerce. We can have Google, Amazon, Facebook, you know, under control. We won't have it all fixed, but we can have the key things under control in five years. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Clearly, there are huge economic opportunities that you cannot pursue today. Because either capital is not available or market access is not available or network effects block you. And so the trick is if in five years you can break the hold of those things, then whether it's in Silicon Valley or anywhere else that wants to participate in the economy, we're going to get a chance to. Yeah. And it's also, it's also things like climate. You know, right. the, the climate problem, our hydrocarbon problem is a monopoly problem. It's like we knew what to do about hydrocarbons 30, 35 years ago. We knew it. We knew how to deal with it. We were moving in that direction. And the monopolists got in our way and prevented us from doing it. So and now they have Facebook and Google, which allow them to... Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, the Koch brothers and Google, when it comes to anti-monopoly law, they're like this. They're working together every day because who gets served by monopoly laws that has been interpreted today? Google and Coke Industries. Well, Barry, Barry, we're running out of time here. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Barry Lynn. I want you all to go and get a copy of Liberty from All Masters, Barry's new book. I want you to understand that he has been uh, my guru on these issues. He is a, a mover and shaker, a true thought leader, and also, in my opinion, a, a man who speaks up for civil rights, that at the end of the day, this is a this issue of liberty is about equality of opportunity for all of us. And Barry Lynn, I want to thank you on behalf of, of the Commonwealth Club and uh, all of the viewers. Thank you, Roger. It was really an honor to talk to you tonight. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. 
If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.